Talk. Talk show. Talk back. Talk radio. Walk your talk. Talk your talk. KGNU Talk. Call in. Call in and talk. Call in and connect. Connections. Friday mornings at 8.30 on KGNU. Good morning. My name is Eli Kalin. I am joined today uh, with for Josie Nixon, director of Exposed, a storytelling series along the front range. And we are talking arts, culture, and how it affects society. Josie, welcome. Thanks for having me, y'all. Excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about your Exposed series, and then we can jump into how arts and culture and how it affects society. Yeah, general overview. It's a pretty simple concept. Uh, take on the oldest form of art that we have, storytelling, um, you know, how we pass down our history, how do we connect with the people around us. So what I do is I find some very brave, willing, courageous volunteers from our community. Um, and I work with them for about three months to develop their more intense stories of their lives, the, the things that when you know, you might be meeting a friend for coffee. You don't feel comfortable talking about <laughs> the, the things that maybe only your therapist has heard. But really, the idea is that we focus on on traumatic pieces of our identities, of our history. And during that three months, you know, I transform a first draft into a beautiful theatrical, you know, rendition, uh, true memoir read on stage uh, for an audience about these really intense moments in their lives, some of the darker pieces of their identity. And in my opinion, you know, what it really does is it helps us understand that whether somebody looks exactly like you or nothing like you, whether their story is just like yours or their story is so, so different, that we are going to connect over those vulnerable pieces of ourselves, that it's the the emotional piece that you're going to connect with, maybe not the situational piece. And we've seen great success with this. Um, you know, over the five years I've been doing this, I've really connected with some fantastic people that, you know, I might have never given a, a, the time of day if I hadn't, you know, decided to live this mission in my personal life as well. So that sounds like a, a true value without getting social norms kind of not allowing social norms to get in our way. It's it sounds like you're just pursuing a true value. Yeah, absolutely. I think my opinion of social norms for this show would 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 really pull away from the value of what I'm what I'm trying to do. So I, I'm very seriously taking into consideration, you know, what story goes back to back with each other throughout the show. I'm really trying to identify that you know, two people with two very different experiences can have a similar emotional outcome to something, uh, even if, you know, one person, 
you know, grew up in the South or grew up in the North or grew up in a different country or grew up here, you know, what, what we experienced in our, you know, youth and, and young adult lives and even well into our adulthood can shape just how we relate to those around us. And yeah, if we lean too far into those social norms, we're going to be back in the same problem that we have in everyday life, which is, you know, you only follow your friends on Facebook, you're only, you know, following people who the algorithm thinks you love on TikTok and Twitter and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you're also not posting anything real. You're not, you're not living in, in a real community. Um, and that's, that's a personal opinion. I know a lot of people would say that you can find some great people on the internet, but, you know, I, I push back against this narrative that, we are divided into, you know, thousands of little boxes of identities. And that can be great for some, some people, but it also is important for us to, to pull away from some of those niche identities and say, I'm just a person. I've been through some messed up stuff and so have you. So let's, let's grab a glass of whiskey and talk about it. Um, You know, I don't serve any whiskey at the event, but I always make sure there's a bar there. (laughs) And, you know, I completely as- associate with that. And um, how do you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but how do you think culture is divided currently? Oh, God, how isn't culture divided currently? That's, I mean, boy, I don't know if I need to say anything more than that. I, I truly think uh, that we are just pushed in opposite directions from the moment we wake up till we go to bed. Um, you know, it, the the news articles that I read, you know, um, I live in Colorado. I I vote blue, so why would I ever read Fox News? That's terrible. So I have nothing in common with any Fox News reader. Um, you know, I'm a, a member of the LGBTQ community. So if you're not, then how could I ever relate to you? Um, you know, I'm a millennial. So how could I ever get along with a boomer? So there's you know there's these narratives that are subtle sometimes. And there's ones that are very obvious, left versus right, black versus white, but it's the obvious and the subtle pieces that push us into echo chambers. Um, My opinion, if you're living in an echo chamber, if you're not having conversations with people that you, you know, don't agree with on every level, you know, I'm really gonna struggle to say that you're, you're really understanding your community. You really hit a nice point on community there. So I'm a firm believer that we're a whole lot closer than we are farther apart. And I think as we all, I'm I'm laughing because I'm literally using my hands to describe something, but we, as we move further apart, we ultimately come closer together. And I think we become closer together when it comes down to family values, loving our family, loving the people that are around us or chosen family. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, chosen family is a a beautiful uh, term that I think is getting much more popular. Um, But, you know, I I live in East Denver and, um, you know, a sea of houses in the suburbs and my two neighbors are, uh, you know, I only met them almost two years ago and they're fantastic people. Like I would have never approached them on the street to sit down and have a great conversation. But, you know, I was at my neighbor, one neighbor's house this week, having dinner, talking about 
you know, old school feminism and uh, what it was like back in the 70s trying to fight for things. And then my other neighbor is like a retired chef who, you know, lived a rock star lifestyle. And now he's this, you know, veggie garden hunting sort of guy. I, I just I never would have given him the time of day. So whether it be family or neighbors or you know, to even some degree, like going to a coffee shop and not pulling out a laptop or a cell phone, like what a remarkable idea in 2023, you know, just sit at a coffee shop and be willing to say hello to somebody. Um, that is sort of revolutionary in some people's eyes, especially the younger you get. So you just hit on a point of um, ultimately putting the computer away or putting the phone away. In your Exposed series, there is no tech format and ultimately, why did you choose to ultimately put away the phone and put away any sort of tech in your storytelling series? <laughs> yeah, much to the chagrin of everybody who wants to give me advice is that if I don't do the digital version of the show, then I'm not going to be successful. But yeah, I I very much hold the value of you know this anti-digital experience, uh, even so much so that when I post uh, on our social media accounts, I, I try and end it with, you know, this isn't the community. The community doesn't exist online. I'm not going to post fun memes about storytelling. I'm not going to post, you know, quips of philosophy. I'm going to post ticket links for you to come and meet the people who are actually interested in the same thing as you. So for me, it's about viewing something uh, completely outside of your phone screen. So if you, you hold up your phone to take a video, you're no longer looking at the person on stage. You're looking at your phone screen um, to make sure you've got the framing right. And you're not thinking about the things that they're saying. Um, you know, if you're, <laughs> I had the experience uh, at our show in Boulder where a woman pulled out uh, her Apple watch and was touching her wrist during my show. And boy, I'll tell you, if I could kill with my eyes, she would have uh, <laughs> she would have not made it out of that theater, but she got the point. Um, I I think for me it's it's really just to say that you know I grew up with this with tech constantly being shoved in my face, and I'm a millennial, so I I'm surrounded by all of these digital formats. But the more I I try and step away, and the more I get pushed to to live in you know, community and, and when I'm with a group of friends to not get on social media, when I'm out at a club, just to stand at the bar and, you know, wait for the bartender and look around and not, you know, pull my phone out, that sort of thing, just it's less and less common. And, and I want to use the show as a subtle way to say that this can be a fun experience without your cell phone. So I make it pretty obvious on stage that if they pull their phone out, I'll, I'll just remove them from the show. <laughs> I have a zero, zero exception policy for that one. So you're going to charge them double. <laughs> yeah, no refund either. That's for sure. <laughs> we can't afford refunds right now. <laughs> so you said you've been doing this for five years. How's it, how has it evolved? And then through that time, how does it fit into the art community that is, whether it's Boulder, Denver, Fort Collins, or even Colorado Springs? 
Yeah. So five years ago, I got the opportunity through a show called Bedpost Confessions Boulder to read a story on stage. And it was a pretty liberating experience for me telling an audience uh, about something that, you know, I was so nervous to say that I was shaking on stage. Um, I wasn't quite as practiced on stage as I am now, but I wasn't one to go up and, you know, cry uh, because of nerves. But it was a a therapeutic experience to have a, a room full of people applause a, a traumatic moment in my life. Um, it made me feel very held and, and connected to that group of people. So from there, I was invited to, to be a part of that show as a producer and an MC. And the group of women that ran it just really showed me the value of, of how to support the storytellers in that process but what I always felt, you know, I wanted to do was push the boundary quite a bit further. So that show focused on, uh, it was called Bedpost Confessions. So you can imagine the genre that those stories fit into. And I wanted to pull away from any, you know, niche community and say that this is a human experience. Uh, we all have trauma. Um, I want people with conflicting ideologies on my stage you know, I was telling the audience on Monday that I'd really love to have a police officer come up and tell a story about being human. And I'd love to have someone who was, you know, uh, abused by the police come up and tell a story about being human. And those two stories back to back is a powerful message in itself, not, you know, even including what those stories would be, be about on topic. So the the evolution of it was really just me feeling edgy <laughs> and wanting to uh, you know, frankly, and I don't think I can swear on this show, but, you know, just really mess some people up. Uh, when people ask me what type of stories I'm looking for, I just say that things that you feel like are really effed up in your life. And that is that is my aim. I want to hit a couple of gut punches to the audience. And then I want to have the audience leaving thinking deeply about their own emotional processing and their own traumas in their life and how they connect with the people around them. Um it has fit in quite well. I mean, I have gotten a, a great response. Every, I'll be honest with you, this is going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I got to do it because no one else is right now, right? But, uh, you know, the feedback I'm getting is just that like, I, I think I'm really on to something here. I really think that people are attached to the idea of we're catered to, you know, um, everybody is uh, outsourcing their self-care to the people around them and saying, you can't talk about that in front of me. You can't say that in front of me. And uh, I do not believe that rhetoric. So for me, it's how can I push the envelope to sort of the limits of what is okay to say on stage? Um, it is not a child-friendly event. It is 21 and up. Um, and that, you know, not even just 18 and up. I, I, I would make it 30 and up if I felt like I had the audience for it because it is, it is a really jarring experience. Um, but with that said, I, you know, I think that there's a barrier to entry. Um, not everybody wants that. And in Fort Collins, uh, the community that wants it is quite a bit smaller than Denver. Uh, same with the Springs. Um, but I think it's just a different approach. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on, 
what are the stories people in Colorado Springs want to hear? Uh, it's probably someone who was in the military, right? It's probably someone who, you know, left a conservative church. It's it's folks who are struggling with the issues going on in Colorado Springs. So I'm very aware of the differences between the cities that I do shows in, um, but also recognizing that we have to pop this bubble of we only want to hear what's going on in our own backyard. But I, I do want it to feel connected in sense of like, these are your neighbors. These are the people you see in coffee shops telling you these stories. You just got to open your your mind a little bit and, and um, you know, let me navigate that story into an impactful way for you. So, yeah, I just wanted to take a quick break. This is KGNU Community Radio. This is Connections. If you want to give a call in and, and ask Josie a question, please do. It's 303-442-4242. And then, Josie, you also hit on art creates emotion. And whether you're sitting next to somebody left or to the right, and you just don't know who they are and you introduce them, or you're looking at a piece of art, like it's going to create emotion within somebody, whether they actually show it or not. And ultimately what I'm trying to get at is art is cultural and that it pushes our society forward. And how do you feel how do you how do you see that moving forward where we're at right now or five or ten years into the future? Boy, yeah, this might be an unpopular opinion, but um, you know, I think that we are moving towards just like communities that don't want to hear the deep, raw things going on in people's lives. And so I want this art to snap people out of this idea that they're not supposed to be emotionally charged or challenged, you, you know, at, at least, you know, monthly. <laughs> you know, I think people walk around in communities where they, they don't ever want to be offended. They don't ever want to be pushed up against something that they don't agree with. They don't remember how to have a healthy debate. I think, uh, you know, I, I can echo uh, Jared Polis is trying this thing with the Utah governor about healthy debate or something like that. So, you know, I think it's, it's that same idea. I don't think I'm revolutionary in the idea that we need to be able to hear things that we don't agree with and still understand the humanity of that person. Of course, that's got limits, and I'm not going to you know, cross uh, limits that are disgusting, but I'm going to push that envelope as to you know, what is that limit. And, and as the director, I really have a lot of say in that. And you know, for me, it's moving away from the idea that we should cater to every single emotional uh, trigger that is existing in every space that we walk into. Um, I can't be responsible for the things that have happened in your life. If I don't know your stories and something I say upsets you, you know, the, the reactions now are offensive uh, or that I've offended you opposed to I'm just speaking my own truth. And, you know, we are the center of our own universe. 
but there is a lot of centers of universes in every single room you walk into. So we have to respect that, you know, each experience is different. And, you know, I, I don't want this show to be seen as, you know, a political thing or, you know, some sort of like push way outside of what people are comfortable with, but more a, you know, a bit of nostalgia to how we, how we really should be connecting and have connected for so many, you know, centuries before we got isolated in this technological world where you only see certain news, you only see certain people, you only go certain places, you only live certain places, you only, you know, we all have our in and out crowd. And I just, I want my in crowd to be doors wide open and I want it to be bigger than what it is even now. Hey, Josie, this is Jackie Sedley with KGNU. I've been operating the board and I have been very thoughtfully listening to this conversation. I was really thinking about when you were mentioning in-groups and out-groups and bringing in those different voices. You said the police officer and the person that had had abusive circumstances with police officers. I was thinking a lot about the different dynamics across Colorado regionally. I moved here six weeks ago, and I'm already noticing all the discrepancies between the culture in Boulder versus the culture in Denver versus the culture in Greeley versus the culture in Fort Collins. And so I guess my question with this event, if you're bringing together people from different perspectives, but you also have an audience that maybe you're not catering to, but that is choosing to come. You said barriers to access with the kind of idea of the event itself. Do you expect or hope that your audience members will be from all over? Or do you expect slash hope that the people in the audience will be coming from more quote unquote progressive parts of Colorado? And how do you work with that? Yeah, I mean, there's some truth in, you know, understanding your marketing, uh, like who, who am I aiming at? Uh, now, I'm not unaware that the people who come to my show are folks who are pretty interested in having a more open understanding of society and stories from our communities. So I know what my market is. Now, what I would push on that is my desire is to find those communities that typically would never ever go to a storytelling event like folks in Greeley or like folks in Colorado Springs and Fort Collins and all of the, you know, Loveland. And um, so I know that there are communities that it will take longer for me to reach. Um, but what I also know is I'm not going to walk into Fort Collins and host a show and sell, you know, 250 tickets. What I'm going to have to do is build momentum. And, you know, this, this is a pretty grassroots movement. Um, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm consistently getting word of mouth. Hey, I went to this event. I want to take you with me. Let's go to the next one. So those plus ones are that, that growth into those types of communities. I have had some people come up to me after the show and tell me pretty point blank that they would have never approached this type of event, but they felt pretty impacted by it. Now, I also know what I look like and the community that I live directly in and how people associate me. So I also know that that's a barrier. So I'm not going to be able to walk into a lot of places and convince people to sit down and have a real conversation with me because they're going to make their own assumptions about the way I look or the way, you know, I address, you know, my community. And 
the fact that you see in six weeks how different these communities are, I think is just uh, exactly the the issue that I struggle with. I am not a marketer. Um, <laughs> I am. Uh, I just want to do storytelling and art, and you know, pretend to be a full time artist. But you know, I think for me, it's important to recognize those differences and approach them in a way that you know I the best that I can and say you know, I get it. I get that this is new and big and scary, but, um, you know, I also can't drag them in as much as I would love to. I appreciate that context. Also for listeners out there, just a reminder, you are listening to KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. If you have any questions for Josie or any comments to add to this conversation, you can either call us in the studio at 303 303- 442-4242, or you can email us at dj at kgnu.org. Josie, I also wanted to ask, do you feel like there are other events like this in the Boulder, Denver area, or do you feel like you're filling a gap that has been present for a while? No, uh, I don't think I'm filling a gap. Uh, exposed is not you know, a new concept, uh, live read storytelling is going on. I know that there are groups in Boulder and Denver, um, I think less familiar with Fort Collins or Colorado Springs and I'm new on the scene. You know, I just am loud and passionate and throwing everything I've got at it where I, I think a lot of these shows get, um, you know, side gig sort of mentality where, um, you know, even folks who work for the moth typically don't do that regionally full time. It's a, I'm a full time accountant and then I produce shows for the moth. But the difference is that my show is extremely curated. So I'm working with these folks for three months, having a picture of what are the stories in my in each show? How do I put them together? How do I emcee that show to create this sort of roller coaster of emotions? I like to say and exposed is maybe not feeling a gap but pushing the limits and I'm going to continue to push and I'm going to continue to say, you know, these are the real raw stories of what's going on in your community. Folks. I mean, I am aptly named the folks that come on my show are exposing themselves in extremely vulnerable ways, pretty much, you know, up to the point of getting naked. I don't know how you could be more exposed on my stage, but there is, there is a big part of me that says this is, this is something that's happening and storytelling is the hot, you know, thing right now. A lot of people love listening to podcasts and all that sort of jazz. But for me, it's, it's about really understanding that this exists and just existing in a space that other shows that they just don't push to. That is, that is amazing, Josie. So we actually got a question that came in. And they're curious about your personal history and why you want to create this and where did they grow up and how did they get into storytelling? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Midwest born, uh, you know, came out here in 2016, really fell in love with the front range, uh, as we, as we all do, um, you know, seven years on, I'm, I think for me, it, it stems from the the first show that I got to be a part of, which was just me 
being someone who says yes to stuff and and even if it's scary so that first time I got to go on stage and tell a story um that was the first storytelling event that I ever went to on purpose uh so that was this coincidence and then you know when you feel like you get slapped in the face by you know a passion or a a new favorite thing it it just wrapped me up really clearly and then I, I lived with uh, full-time jobs and trying to do this on the side for quite a while. COVID really uh, <laughs> stole some of that thunder from me. Any live events we planned got canceled. And obviously, you know, that didn't come back for quite a while. And when I rebranded with Exposed, I think my identity comes into play with this a lot. I have some some dear friends that I would say agree with me on very little and um we just think you know we're we're still good people i still think that they're they're kind hearted you know um people that you know just really want to live a you know happy life and not you know uh, hurt anybody and we we have these healthy debates about topics that i wouldn't even talk about on the radio and for me it's just the desire to continue to do that um but I want to make that more and more and more accessible. And I want these stories to have more and more and more ears hear them because it's not about the echo chamber. It's about existing outside of that space. It's about connecting your own feelings to a narrative that you think is totally out there and messed up and, um, you know, these, these triggering topics that we cover just stem from that, that same idea that if I can't sit down with somebody and hear a story without, you know, pretending that they have to cater to every trigger that I have, then I'm never going to be able to connect with that person on a really deeply vulnerable way. So, you know, my identity comes into play with this a lot as a, you know, a queer person, you know, living a, a very outwardly queer life, but also, you know, when I travel, I, I make a point to always find the person at the airport bar who looks the least like they want to talk to a trans person. And then I walk up to them and I sit down and have a beer conversation. And almost always do I find that that person is now, you know, maybe not an ally, but now they've got a connection with somebody who says, all right, like, that's not someone I would have talked to, but you're all right. You know, I would have a beer with you. I get that a lot. Honestly, I, I push myself to do that. You want to go grab a beer with me? It's not hard to do. I can pretty much talk about anything. How do you go into those interactions without, I guess, fear or not intimidation, that's not the right word, but without a sense of hesitancy that the interaction may not go comfortably for you? How do you sit with that discomfort? <laughs> They never go comfortably. <laughs> That's how I know. I mean, the number of ignorant things I've heard in my life are just ridiculous at this point. Anybody who's a marginalized identity gets offended, you know, but here's what I got to say. Nobody I go and talk to in a bar is going to say something that I haven't heard before, you know, shouted at me in an aggressive way. Um, I would be pretty shocked at this point if somebody in a public place was able to say something to me that really put me out it's not about not being scared or intimidating, but it's about doing it anyways. And I know that's like some cliche saying, you know, but at the same time, it, it really is. And if you're not doing stuff that scares you, uh, 
that my show is probably not for you and, and you're not the market that's going to come. And that's okay. Like it's not for everybody. I'm only ever trying to make 80% of people happy anyways. So for me, it's, it's, I'm going to sit down with the people that, that scare me the most. And almost always I, I leave that conversation feeling like, um, that fear was misplaced and it was put on me by, you know, some, stereotype that exists about, you know, an older white guy wearing a MAGA hat, uh, you know, but at the same time, he wants to say some shit. Ooh, <laughs> I almost did the whole thing without it. I apologize. Uh, go through the whole conversation without this idea of, you know, thinking he's going to offend me with everything he's saying but then having it just roll off my shoulder and try to get to the actual intention of what he's saying, which is generally, you know, fear of progress or fear of movement or fear of me going to the bathroom. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy for me to overcome those things now. Um, you know, I've just been put in so many situations where those conversations go sideways and I just, I've learned to recover. Mm. We actually have a caller on the line. This is David. David, you are on the air. Josie, I just want to thank you so much for your courage um, in what you're doing. And I want to bring up a current story that's super helpful. Barbie, of course. And uh, Barbie says, we are fighting because we forgot who we are. And I think of this a lot in my struggles to overcome fear on the housing issue here in Boulder. Um, I've been very impressed with Marshall Gans and his wonderful work on public narrative. And you've all Noah Harari, his book Sapiens, which talks about how humans are so successful because of our ability to tell stories, which can be, you know, more or less fact-based. And I see so much ignorance of our history that if we knew, we would remember that we are you know, who we are. We're, we're, we have so much in common. We have such a great ability to work together. And I'm just <clears throat> wondering, keeping George Orwell in mind, who said those who, who control the present control the past, and those who control the past control the future. And you see what's going on in politics all the time. Um, again, a story can be more or less fact-based. But I, I'm just wondering, especially thinking about housing and uh, here in Boulder, we had a big discussion about it last night, which to me was just so much rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic instead of thinking, hey, we have so much benefit to have a diverse society. Let's bring us together. It's just Boulder's brand. We work together. I'm just wondering uh, on your show, and I'm going to uh, learn all I can about you. I've worked a little bit with Joanna Walker, so a little shout out to her, her storytelling um, work. But I'm wondering if you have thought of bringing people with different ideas on, you know, two kind of opposed, you know, uh, two people with different views, because I think it's, it's so important for us to listen to the other person and story done right moves us moves us to action moves us to empathy so i'm just wondering if you thought about that and i'll take yeah i'm especially interested about 
you know, housing, but land use. But I'm just wondering if you, and I apologize that I don't know enough about you now, but if you've looked at that idea of, of, of uh, transformation uh, on the stage with people of different, different views, maybe, or anyway, thank you so much for your work. I'll, I'll, I'll get up to speed on you. Thank you, David. Yeah, David, you're all over the place on that one. Barbie to the Titanic, I think I heard in there. Housing, I love it. And, you know, um, just to touch on a few of those pieces. um, Yeah, I mean, happy to get to know you more, David, and uh, definitely would love to have you come to one of the shows because I think what you said, particularly that sparks interest, is this idea of having people with conflicting interests or conflicting ideologies on my stage. And it's absolutely what I want to do. But what I'm not going to do is highlight those conflicting ideologies. So, you know, if I get a gun-toting farmer, you know, MAGA-voting guy from Pueblo to come on my event, you know, that would be great. I'd love for him to sit down with me and and consider that. I also want to get, you know, a know, 21-year-old blue-haired, non-binary, boulder-raised, super leftist, you know, ACAB uh, youth on my my stage. But what I'm not going to do is have them go up on stage and preach an ideology or preach an opinion. I'm going to go up and give them an opportunity. I'm going to build the platform for them to say, I'm just a human. And here's a human traumatic experience I have been through. And I'm going to have them give a raw and vulnerable account of that. And then we'll touch on some of those pieces of identity, right? Because my trauma has informed some of the identities that I hold today. That's a that's a human experience. Everybody has that. So what I'm not going to do is have two people go up on stage and say things that are in complete conflict with one another. But by having those very visible identities touched on in a story of vulnerability, of rawness, we just see that the connections and the similarities exist. So whether those two people with those conflicting ideologies or not are okay with the other person being a part of my show, that's you know my fight for them. But it is not about saying something that is against someone else on my stage. It is a personal experience where you know someone might say, you know, and The story isn't about you being a police officer because that's not the only identity you hold. It's a human experience. I just so happen to be a police officer. And then it's a human experience. I just so happen to be, you know, uh, abolish the police uh, supporter. So these, these, they're not going to be front and center, but because of that subtlety, the message is almost more clear because they're both going to talk about trauma, vulnerability, rawness, the human experience. And I guarantee you, they talk about very similar emotional impacts of those moments in their lives. So for me, it's, it's really important to, to push that boundary of like getting those more challenging identities on my stage. I'm talking about immigrants, ICE detainees, uh, domestic abuse survivors, um, people who have been in and out of prison for for violent crimes, um, you know, and have have paid their uh, dues to society. I really want to 
I'm going to just repeat myself a hundred times here. I'm trying to push the envelope so far that when somebody walks out and says that is the most intense experience of my life to listen to these stories. Um, but I do think, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear you say Boulder has got a diverse mindset. And I, I would just say to that note, um, Jackie's only been here six weeks and I think she knows that that's not hundred percent through and through in the community. David, I'm proud of you to have that mindset. I think it's important to do that, but um, I don't know if I would say Boulder's a diverse place. You, you're really hitting on something right now around um, meeting people where they are. And ultimately, you're using the oldest form of art storytelling to do that. And I could totally get into the mental health crisis as well and how it affects so many people and where they're at but i ultimately really just wanted to talk about the format of your show a little bit and get into that a little bit yeah it it's a straightforward format it is a two and a half hour show um i try to be very punctual because i know that a weeknight show uh is you know babysitters at home (laughs) you know usually you want to make sure you're sticking to that timeline. So I always host Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesdays, because I firmly believe this is not a show I want you to go out drinking and partying afterwards, because it is an emotional uh, slap in the face. Um, And then it is five storytellers. Um, I emcee the show myself. I try and bring a lot of levity to the stage. Um, Up until uh, yesterday, or a couple of days ago, I was using the term that my job is to go up on stage and make fun of trauma in order to make everyone laugh about something that we're all experiencing here, some deep emotional things. But someone from the audience whispered to a friend of mine who was just sitting next to them coincidentally and said, instead of saying making fun of trauma, because that's not really what I'm doing, I'm having fun with trauma. And I think that's a beautiful way to describe what I think my role is in this show for three months I am the support person. I am the, you know, quote unquote, ghost writer um, for these stories. I I help push these people into creating a story that's high quality, really punchy, concise, um, clear in its message. Um, And then the day of the show, I am for the audience. My job is to push them to the edge with the stories and then pull them back, hold them in community focus on community healing and less self-care, more focus on group, less focus on self. And, you know, I really, I go on stage and I, I joke about things that you absolutely should never joke about. And uh, I get great reactions from the audience. So, you know, depending on, on where I am in Denver, I might, you know, go a little harder on one thing or another. Boulder, I go a little harder on one thing or another. And having fun with that trauma, bringing a smile to everyone's faces in between these very jarring, you know, moments of raw memoir can be beautiful. Because, I mean, laughing about something that you think is so messed up is really liberating. And, um, you know, I think everything is funny. You just you can't break it. You just got to bend it. And I just go on stage, try to bend everything I can. Jersey, we have another listener question. It's a bit of a three-parter. 
but it all kind of goes together and I can repeat things. So how do you prep people to share their stories? Are there stories that you turn down? Kind of what is that selection process like? And then how do you approach people that are scared or offended by those stories? So, yeah, prepping, do I turn down and and how do I get over the fear? Yeah, prep for the stories. I mean, the the process in, in a really concise paragraph is I usually take someone to coffee and I say, I think that you would be really great for this event. Usually somebody has recommended them. Usually they've reached out to me. I have an application that people can find on our website and on our social media pages. And I just take them to coffee and I tell them a little bit about who I am in an open and vulnerable way. Tell them about my history, kind of like I've done here, just much quicker. And I just ask them straight up, what comes to mind? Like, what is the story in your life that comes to mind when I talk about trauma? And they usually have one or two things right off the bat. And those gut reactions are what I'm looking for. So then I talk to them, what is this three months? It is a lot of, you know, putting putting thoughts on paper, uh, letting me read those, giving lots and lots of edits, suggestions, uh, tips and tricks, things that we all know, but just need an easy reminder of. Most of my job is just validating their experience and saying, yes, this was so messed up. I can't wait for other people to tell you that they also experienced this. Um, And I just am pumping them up. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, you know, uh, the, the stage is a beast. And if you're not a public speaker, it is a very scary thing. But luckily, theater is sort of unique in that you look out at the audience and all you can see is blinding lights. So it's kind of like nobody is there anyways. Um, 15 minutes before showtime, I always pull all of them back and I, you know, we all hold hands and do the, the cheesy, like, you know, hands in the center, go expose. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. But uh, it is it is very much just making sure that they're comfortable with their story. Uh, we, you know, we do rehearsals and that really helps their, their confidence. We do more than one show. Usually the, the opening show is a really deeply raw experience and the shows that are following are a little bit more, you know, passionate, a little bit bigger emotionally, but a little less raw. As far as stories that I turn down, I mean, I definitely turn down stories. Uh, much to the chagrin of the people that tell me their thing that they want to talk about, you know, sometimes it's just not relatable. Um, when you're writing about tension and conflict, you got to find something that is relatable. You got to find something that other people can emotionally connect to. And I'm not going to let somebody go on stage and just preach. Uh, I don't want you to tell me how to feel. Um, you know, usually it's it's just due to the sole fact that I don't think that they're really understanding what the message of my show is. And um, yeah, not that I think trauma is some trauma is worse than other trauma. I think all trauma is bad and it's it's particularly how you write about it. But uh, there are definitely stories I turn down and I do that in the most gracious way that I can, although it's sometimes tough to swallow. And then, yeah, not only are the storytellers scared, uh, but I also think the audience members get quite uh, maybe worried that what they walked into is going to be a little bit more intense than what they were expecting or people are maybe wanting to buy a ticket, but they just need that like push from the universe, that slap in the face that says like, you're ready to handle this. But what I would say is, you know, if you're watching Netflix and you feel emotional and, you know, something 
triggering is happening on, on the TV, you look around and you're by yourself and you're like, oh my God, I can't handle this. But if you're at my show, you're not experiencing that alone. And I don't know how to get that across to my you know, market, to the, to the community to say that when you're feeling triggered, when you start to cry, when you're shaking and you look around you and everybody is feeling that, including me, who is like, heard these stories 500 times by this point, who has got to go on stage and reflect on these stories and pull you up back from that edge. It is a very therapeutic experience. You know, one of the things I like to say is that it's the cheapest therapy you're ever going to get. It's only, you know, $25, $30 ticket. It is extremely intense. It's exposure therapy. You know, I just couldn't name my show that because it's already taken. (laughs) All right. We've got a call from Martin that we're going to link in right now. (laughs) Martin, what's up? Hello. Hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. You are on the air. (laughs) Uh, This is Martin. Hey, Josie. I thought one of your storytellers ought to call in. Doc Martin is a uh, sort of uh, caboose to my show. Uh, the fifth storyteller at every show I've had so far. Doc Martin's words will take you to another universe and give you a movie in the back of your eyelids. <laughs> storyteller number five. That's me. I just wanted to say the opportunity to get up in front of a room full of strangers and be vulnerable is a healing experience and a release and this idea that you're not alone. And when you connect with a room full of people, uh, well, it's, it's, it's life changing. It brings you to another place. It's empowering. It's, it's, um, yeah, I'll leave it there. For a guy that writes stories, I'm out of words. <laughs> that never happens. I know that's not true, Doc, but I appreciate the call. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Yeah, Doc and I, so Doc Martin and I have known each other for quite some time, and I started to know that they were, he was writing some pretty beautiful poetry. And so I went to him and I just push him outside of what he typically does, which is, poetically dancing around actually naming some of the traumas that that he's got in his life and storytelling is about being super direct with those traumas and telling us exactly what it is that has happened um you can do it in a poetic way uh but storytelling is not poetry um in in my eyes and and my event is not a poetry event it is a storytelling event and and doc has done an amazing job of sort of merging these two ideas and really you know Truly, uh, post-show, people walk up to me and they tell me who they connected with the most. It's one of my favorite parts of the show is I walk off a stage and somebody says, no, it was Colby's story for me. No, it was Urvashi's story. No, I loved Harley's story. I love Sori's story. I love Doc's story. And they each connect to different parts of that story. You know, and what I think is beautiful is that, uh, you know, Doc is sort of this this person that lives in the identity of someone who should never have uh, a really close trans friend, but Doc's got tons of community that looks, you know, nothing like him. And he does a fantastic job of pushing himself outside of those boundaries. And like he said, I think going on stage 
and telling your, your trauma, your vulnerabilities to an audience and having them give you a round of applause, well, that's a pretty validating experience that, you know, um, you're not going to find many places. And I'm just, I feel like exposed is that platform for people. And uh, I just want to keep building it bigger and getting more and more people to hear these stories because I have yet to have somebody tell me that they hated it. Uh, it's not for everybody. Not everybody loves it, but I can't pay somebody for negative feedback right now. I completely understand. And something that Doc actually hit on was that we're really not alone in this world. So even if we're feeling alone, somebody to the left of us, somebody to the right of us is probably going through the same thing or that random person that walks by us on the street. We're all going through things. And since we're sort of wrapping up, I just wanted to see if you had any other insights or ultimately like where can basically the front range find your show or ultimately just have an experience or meet other people where they are. Yeah. Finding the show, you know, finding a small grassroots show isn't always the easiest thing. So, I mean, we are on social media, um, exposed to the shows. Um, and then, uh, you know, our website is exposed the shows.com. Um, you know, one thing I know doing this sort of single-handedly is that, um, I'm always looking for more opportunities, uh, to grow and expand my reach. Um, but, but the last, you know, message I would, I would want to leave people with is that if, if you feel like you're living an authentic, diverse community experience, I want to have you reflect on that and, and see when was the last time you had a healthy conversation with somebody who didn't agree with you on everything. When was the last time you heard the stories from people that look nothing like you, that think nothing like you? Um, and when was the last time you really focused on that, that bolder ideology of a diverse community experience? So with two and a half minutes left here, Josie, I really want to ask, do you have a favorite story or not necessarily the entire story, but an experience within the space of your event that comes to mind where you kind of had the aha moment of, oh, I am doing something here. Like you said, people have given you feedback on. And unfortunately, obviously, you can't use any extreme language, so we can't have the entire story reenacted, but a, a brief overview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my show contains a plethora of expletives. So if you come to my show, please do not have sensitive ears. Um, no, I, I think really my favorite part of the whole show is right at the end when everybody's sort of chit chatting in the lobby, um, having just, you know, exited the theater, uh, they're, you know, trying to find the storyteller that they want to connect with and compliment and, and feel, uh, validate that experience and say me too. Um, so for me, that is just truly a beautiful piece of it because all the storytellers are high energy. They're feeling like they just crushed it. They're feeling like, wow, I want to do this again and again and again. Almost every storyteller I've worked with has come to me and said they want to do more. That that experience of coming off the stage and, and just seeing the faces of people who have got puffy eyes from crying for the last two hours, 
you know, they're, they're feeling raw. They're feeling, feeling vulnerable. The, the last thing they want to do is go meet somebody new. And then they walk up to me and they just say like, thank you for this experience. Uh, thank you for giving us this opportunity and building this platform. I, there's not really a compliment I haven't heard post show, which obviously warms my heart and expands my ego. But at the same time, you know, I know that that's exactly what I'm here to do. Um, I'm not, you know, doing this because I think it's popular or, or the next thing in theater or anything. I'm doing this because I'm deeply passionate about the idea of storytelling about vulnerable and raw things. And the fact that people are responding in a way that makes this something I can pursue is just the most touching experience of my life. And I have a hard time ending my show without crying, but I do it every time and I'm sure I'll get better at it. But um, that, that, you know, that final 10 minutes and the, the chatting in the lobby, it's, it's, it's just the most magical thing, which you only can experience if you come to Exposed and stay for the whole show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josie. This is Eli Kalin with Connections. And coming on right now is Meredith Cardison with Morning Sound Alternative. 